righty. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today, <coughs> and um, I am glad we're here together worshiping the Lord. Uh, my, 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 it is good to be here together worshiping God, <laughs> right? In the midst of all the wonkiness of that doggone weather. That, I mean, up and down, up and down, up and down. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So, all right, <coughs> so here we go. <laughs> um, guys, we are um, so glad to be with you today. My name's Roland. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the uh, lead pastor here. Looking forward to getting to know you. Uh, li- so glad to get to worship with you. And on the heels of uh, Resurrection Sunday, which happened obviously not last weekend, but the weekend before, um, what we're doing is we are uh, going through a new series because as God was giving his son Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world, he gave us a salvation at the cross of Jesus that we all cling to day by day. Amen. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a salvation that, yes, we look forward to, but there's also, as Paul said in Philippians, a working out of our salvation with fear and trembling, right? Um, so that we want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that we might also somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead as we wait for the return of our king, amen? And so um, with that in mind, the good news is that God hasn't left us to do that alone. God hasn't left us to walk with him alone. God hasn't left us to fulfill his purposes alone. Uh, But God's given us the greatest gift that he could ever give, which is himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's given us himself to be an ever-present presence (laughs) with us and to walk with us in such a way that it empowers us to live a life of fulfillment in God. And so what we're doing in this series, Post-Resurrection Sunday, is we're actually talking through a series called Be Filled. Be Filled, which as we talked about last week, was an exhortation, a command that God had given to us, not only through Jesus himself, um, but also through the writers of the New Testament letters. And so when we're talking about being filled, what we're talking about is being filled with the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That the God that we serve is triune in nature, right? He is God the Father, He is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. All God. Amen? And we, we serve Him as God because the Scripture commands us to do so. So going through this series, what we're doing is we're um, working through Scripture that talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how, right? The who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how. I don't know about you, but because I didn't grow up in the church, um, I had a whole lot of questions coming in, you know? But what I discovered coming out from the outside in is that there were a whole lot of people who grew up in church who still had a whole lot of questions, right? A whole lot of questions that there were sort of cursory references to the things that Um, God spoke about throughout the scripture, but there weren't necessarily deep dives, right? There weren't necessarily deep dives about the things of God. We almost, how many people came from maybe a tradition where it's like John 3.16 was the main text every Sunday, okay? So it's sort of like, which is absolutely essential, right? But then there's the whole counsel of God that we want to embrace. How many people say amen to that? We believe in the whole Bible. Everybody, Anybody in here believe in the whole Bible? Okay, so whatever God actually says is good and important, we want to say is good and important, right? And so we've got to get beyond um, just what our traditions have been or even our exposures have been and allow God to speak by his word. And so I want to start by saying this today, that as we live in a 
po an increasingly post-Christendom society. And what I mean by Christendom is just that it's cultural, right? So back in the 50s, uh, I mean, <laughs> it was a little bit different, right? I, I wasn't there, but <laughs> I've heard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was a little bit different, you know, I mean, in terms of people relating to the things of God in our country, things of um, church and the like. Um, I, I'm fascinated, and over and over again, the more that I talk to people, that even the na names like men of God, like Billy Graham, are becoming less familiar um, to people over the years. I, I talk to people in the community. I talk to people in the streets, and I'm like, yeah, have you ever heard of a man named Billy Graham? And they're like, who? And I'm like, oh, wow. Anybody know who Billy Graham is in here? <laughs> okay, come on now. Well, thank God. <laughs> okay, we, we, we honor people who've done it well, right? Um, but when we see that it's a post-Christendom society, many believe that it's not just the world, but the church today that's in need, in desperate need of revival, in desperate need of revival. And so our focus today is that when we wait upon the Lord, the good news is, is that in the context of an idea of revival, he renews our strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his will. That God, even if you've run with him for a while, individually or collectively as a people, God comes by the person and power of the Holy Spirit to renew our strength that we might actually do and accomplish his will. And so today we're going to focus on why, the why of the Holy Spirit, why be filled, what does it mean when we're talking about waiting for the Lord, and what does it produce, the wonders, the wonders of God when that actually happens, okay? So we're going to talk about the why, the wait and the wonders. Next week, I'll just give you a preview. We're going to get a little bit more into the how, okay? The how, but we're going to talk about this today. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you, love you, and be filled with your love, your power, your strength, your spirit, Father, to accomplish all that you've called us to do. God, we know that you've commanded us to be in the world, but not of it, and we thank you that you've given us your spirit to sanctify us to set us apart. You're, you've given us your word for primarily. You said your word is truth and to sanctify us, set us apart by that truth. But you've given us your spirit, which empowers us to accomplish that and live that way. And so, God, we're asking that today you would open your word to us and help us to live in the fullness of it as a people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so why? Number one, let me say that God instructs us to wait on him. God instructs us to wait on him. And I, I think it's a, it's a funny uh, terminology, but it's almost like we sing about it in songs, you know, wait on the Lord. Anybody sung a song recently that had wait on the Lord in it, okay, as one of the verses, right? It's sort of like the scripture talks about it over and over again, waiting on God. But it's not necessarily a dynamic that we put into practice every day, right? Waiting on God. I don't know about you, but um, whenever, uh, like, I was dating my wife, you know, um, a lot of times people have a perception, you know, that you have to wait on one person or another, but usually I was the late one, you know? Anybody in here dated before and you were the late one? Okay, and a lot of times she would wait on me, <laughs> and, but we had a good time once we went out, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but there was a waiting, you know what I mean, waiting on me before that could take place. And there was a dynamic that it was like, listen, I want to go somewhere with you. I want to experience something with you, but there's a waiting before we actually get there. And what we see is that God instructs us to wait on him that we might, might, he might fill us with his strength to run with him, walking in his will. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 40. When we, see, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, 
we see that the Holy Spirit isn't just a New Testament concept. The Holy Spirit is an Old Testament concept as well. The Holy Spirit was spoken about in the beginning. The Holy, the Holy Spirit was spoken about by the prophets. And how many of you have read a, a, just a little piece of the Old Testament before, right? When you read the Old Testament, you see a lot of miraculous, amazing things that God does, right? And he does it through ordinary women, men and women who have been set apart to him to accomplish his will. So you see the prophets prophesying, right, by which we have the canonized scripture today. You see people like Elijah outrunning a chariot. Anybody remember that story? Me, he wasn't that fast, right? He, he actually had a Holy Spirit empowerment to do something supernatural. Um, you see that there was Samson, doesn't matter how long he might have spent in his Old Testament gym, he was not going to take a donkey's jawbone and bust a thousand dudes' heads at one time without some power. <laughs> I mean, something extra coming on him, right? So you see over and over again in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was talked about because the Holy Spirit was God himself empowering the people of God to do his will and not only declare his goodness, not only declare his power and strength, but to demonstrate it, to demonstrate it. And what we see is that in our times today, we have the need for God to demonstrate his strength, demonstrate his power as well. But as we're walking with God day by day, the truth of the matter is, is that we get tired. Isn't that the truth? Anybody try to walk? I'm, I'm talking about in terms of your even Christian pursuit and Christian convictions. Anybody get tired in your pursuit of God sometimes? Just sometimes. <laughs> you know, get tired of doing the right thing sometimes when it's so easy to do the wrong thing, right? It's a slippery slope, right? But here's the thing that the prophet Isaiah said. He said, why do you say, O Jacob, who were the people of God at the time, starting in verse 27. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Anybody ever feel that way before? It's like, God, I'm trying to serve you, but it seems like your eyes on everybody else but me. Anybody ever felt that way before? Okay. He says, why do you say that? He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Now, I can serve a God like that. Amen. <laughs> because I know day by day, I lay my head on that pillow and I'm like, Jesus, it is finished. Right? <laughs> okay, right? It's like, but God, God is like up day and night, and he says, I don't faint or grow weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. That's the heavenly father that you serve. He gives power to the faint. And that's not just a good literary term. He's actually talking about something that he wants you to experience, real power. That when you're running on empty, when you're running on fumes, he says, fill her up, baby. I'll give power to the faint and what? And to him who has no might, oh, is it still? Okay. Yeah, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. Good news for me whenever I'm past that stage in life. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, is that a piece of encouragement that you can cling to? Is that a piece of encouragement that gives you some sort of boost in your pursuit of God? It's like, I don't have to do this on my own. I don't have to even survive this on my own. Sometimes we feel like, especially when we're in a city like ours, we're in survival mode. Anybody been there before? Okay, It just takes an extra effort even to do things like grocery shop here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, back in the day, you could get in your car, go anywhere you wanted, right? And it's sort of like we had back in um, the South, some place called Kroger. Do they have Kroger here? I don't think they do. But the point is, there was a Kroger. I'll go to the Kroger, and it was easy to skip into the store. You know what I mean? It's like, ooh, what do I want today? Mm, sheet cake, probably not good for my cholesterol, but good. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, I get my supplies, get the things I would go home with, and I'll be like, that was easy. Let's have dinner. Here, I'm like, I don't know if I want to eat. <laughs> it, just, it just takes too much effort to go there, come back, you know what I mean? And it's like I get tired and weary just doing normal things. Anybody else? This is part of why I think that people suffer so much with relationship in the city because it's not that people don't want relationship. It's just it's like it's hard to have it. It's hard after you've worked 9 to 5, you know what I mean, depending on what you do, you know what I mean, maybe 9 to 10, and then somebody's like, come to community group. Like, what, please? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just trying to crawl into bed tonight, you know what I mean, so I could get up and actually report to work tomorrow morning. Anybody been there before? Okay? And so it's like you grow no condemnation. Let me say, let me say this here. And this is what the Bible's talking about. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even youths. I remember being a youth. I remember <laughs> being, you know what I mean, ooh, bouncing off walls all the time. You might say, what did that look like? Because it's like, I see you now, and what did it look like when you were young? You know what I mean? Well, I could tell you it was something to behold because I was like, ooh, ooh, you know, <laughs> a little bit here, a little bit here. Jeez, 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 right? But even youth, even when I was a youth, I grew tired and weary, right? And I needed something other than myself to keep me walking with God. I needed something other than myself and my energy or my Red Bull, you know what I mean, to keep me in the game. And the truth is, is that God says, when you learn to wait on me, I'll renew your strength. There's no condemnation if you get tired. There's no condemnation. How about this? Even if you get discouraged. Anybody ever been discouraged before? But God says, I have a solution for both of those things. Wait on me. Wait on me, slow down, stop the normal routine, and let me meet with you. Because when you meet with the living God, through his word, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, I'll renew, strengthen you like the eagles. And let me say this, that to walk with God is to cultivate not just knowledge about, but relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not just knowledge about him, but relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need to think about something like even a good marriage. Cultivating relationships, if we're talking about the idea of waiting on him, takes time, focus, and a humble curiosity to learn about the one you love. Isn't that the truth? Come on now, it's not just good enough to say at the altar, I love you, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I do. The scripture commands us to do what? As men, it says, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. You know what that word literally means? To study her. 
to get to know her, to get to know the ins and outs. Don't just relate like you want to relate, but get to know her as she is, as God's formed her, crafted her, shaped her, right? And then cultivate her by the washing of the water of the word. Isn't that good news? But if that's what God says about our spouses, right, how much more so should we wait on him and get to know him? Get to know his ins and outs, his likes, his dislikes. He shows us by his word, his character, his temperament. Isn't that part of knowing somebody? How they respond when you speak to them. How they meet you when you make requests of them. And the question is, what were the believers doing? Because we just talked about the resurrection of Jesus a couple weeks ago. What were the believers doing in between Jesus' ascension and the day of Pentecost, right? Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he was going around giving many convincing proofs that he was alive, right? Over a period of 40 days. But he said, don't even try to go and do what I said to do, but I want you to wait. Wait. Wait in the city until I give you the gift my father promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit. So they gave themselves, according to Acts chapter 1, continually, not only to fellowship, but to prayer. And what's prayer about? It wasn't just an individual prayer, but it was a corporate prayer. What were they praying about? They were waiting on God, saying, God, we've seen your promise fulfilled in a measure. You died and were resurrected from the dead. We celebrate that. But God, you told us to wait so we'd have power to do what you said to do. So God, we're waiting for more. And they were praying and waiting as Jesus commanded. This is why we wait on God. And I think it's funny that even Walt Whitman said that he, it could be a good uh, instruction, piece of instruction to us that while we wait, we should be curious, not judgmental. Be curious. Why did he say to wait? And what did he say to wait for? What did he say to learn during that time? I'll say to you that if we're going to learn about God, you will know God by his word. Number one. You will know God by his word. When we're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, you can only know who the Holy Spirit is by God's word. How many people say amen to that? You will, number two, recognize God. If I'm interacting with him, you will recognize God by the fruit of his Holy Spirit. Hear this now. I want you to think with me. You will know God by his word, saying this is what's true about him. You will recognize God when you start to interact with him by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? I mean that back in the day, you know what I mean? Before all the caller ID, I'd lived in that time, yes. <laughs> okay. You ever have friends who rem you remember calling you and they were like, hey, what's up? And you were like, who this? <laughs> Anybody? And then you were like, hey, man, this is Johnny. And you're like, oh, okay, Johnny, my bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good to, good to talk to you, right? But you didn't recognize their voice. They called you again. They were like, hey, man, what's up? And you're like, Sam? He's like, nah, man, this is Johnny. <laughs> I'm like, my bad. Johnny, I'm getting to recognize your voice, right? I'm getting more familiar with you, how you interact, how you speak. And then finally, the next time they called, they're like, Rollin, what's up? Right? And I'm like, Johnny, what's that? Right? No. Anyway, the point is, the point is I recognized him because I spent enough time interacting with him that he became familiar to me. 
I recognized him by the fruit of our interaction. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, he said, you know the truth of who he is by God's word. But you need to pay attention to what he's saying about himself in that word. And then when you're interacting with him in real time, that means every day, you and I praying to this God. You recognize him by the fruit of his Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against which things there is no law. Never will God contradict his word or the fruit of his spirit. Never. Never will God contradict his word or the fruit of his spirit. But never will God encourage us to settle for less than what his word describes or that which he makes available by the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that we'll settle for less, but God himself won't encourage that. Do you understand? Because it's right there, and he's saying, meet me there. That's why he says wait. Let's talk about waiting some more. As we wait on God, he fills us with the Holy Spirit that we might be built and build his church. What the purpose of waiting is, when he fills us with strength, is what? He's filling us with strength that we might be built up in him. Built up in him. Meaning that who you are today should be greater and stronger than who you were yesterday in Christ. Right? Because you're being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our destiny in God, right? That you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? That happens by God's word, sanctifying you by God's word, but then also by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, where God makes you like the one you're spending time with. Makes you like the one you're around. Anybody have a BFF in here? Anybody sound a little bit like your BFF? You know what I mean? You have the same mannerisms. You have the same, you know, types of colloquialisms, right? It's sort of like somebody's like, man, you know, you guys are inseparable, and you just say the same things all the time. I know what you're going to say because you can finish each other's sentences. The thing about it is, is that God makes us like him as we spend time with him. As the Holy Spirit is working in us. But I'll say that it's the Bible, not local church tradition, that must inform our understanding of why our interaction with the Holy Spirit is so important. We must have sound exegetical practice to cultivate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'll say that if you're looking for a good resource, has anybody ever heard of a man named R.T. Kendall before? Okay, that's fine. Now you have. R.T. Kendall was a pastor and minister, great theologian, minister at Westminster Chapel for 25 plus years. He's well respected in the body of Christ at large. He wrote a good book called Holy Fire. Holy Fire. And made mention of the fact that in the New Testament, there's no mention of dispensations regarding the post-resurrection work of the Holy Spirit, which would otherwise indicate that God would desire to move differently in our times than in biblical times. Sometimes I remember actually speak, speaking to Christians, and I thought to myself, my goodness, this seems like a bedtime story to me. Anybody not grow up in church and felt that way? It's like, this is cute, but does this actually really happen? But when we read the Bible, that's a piece of history. 
These things actually took place. These things actually happened. These weren't just ideas. These were what were happening, things that were happening. And when God's talking about being the same yesterday, today, and forever, the question is, what does he want to happen today? Yeah, holy fire. To the contrary, when we look again at the Old Testament, God gives us a picture of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes. How many people have ever read the prophet Joel before? Joel, Old Testament prophet, Jewish prophet, okay? There's a connection between a man named Joel and the New Testament realities in which we live in today. If you've not read Joel before, I would encourage you to do so because it's a piece of encouragement for the times in which we live. We'll get into that in a moment. Joel chapter 2, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward. It shall come to pass afterward. Now, God was talking about the judgment that was coming you know, I mean, because of Israel's sin, their disobedience, and how God was going to have to redeem and restore them and bring them back to himself. Good news is that he does that through the person of Jesus Christ, right? But what we see is that the Old Testament prophets were speaking about, first of all, the Messiah who would come to save, but then also how he would work through his people following, right? You following me? And so what we see is that a lot of times the New Testament writers were not just making up stuff on their own, but they were referring back to what the prophets had already predicted. So what we see is that the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament, not something brand new. Does this make sense? Acts chapter 2, Joel was saying, this is what you should expect when God moves amongst you. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall do what? Prophesy. And when we're talking about prophesying, let me make this very clear. We are not talking about your sons and daughters will participate in the writing of Scripture. All right? You hear me? That's not what he's talking about here. The Old Testament prophets, they were commissioned by God to do that. We have our canonized scripture. That's it. Game over. We're done. Everybody say amen. amen. We don't need no more Bible. We got all the Bible we need. And anything that we're saying is going to be biblical now has to be done, like said, or uh, compared to that Bible which we have in our hands. But prophesying what? By nature is what? Hearing the voice of God and actually sharing what you hear. Simple terms, right? Isn't that what the Old Testament prophets were doing? Even in their predictions of the Messiah coming, they were saying this is what God's going to do. But it's not just these special anointed people who are going to do these things. He said in, the, in these times, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. He said... <laughs> Your old men shall dream dreams. That's, that's me. I get to hear God in my sleep. <laughs> okay? It's like, you guys do what you need to do. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what he said when I get up. Okay? Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that for what purpose are these things happening? Sorry, going through puberty. 
<laughs> like, what? what was that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cracking voice. <laughs> and it's so come to pass <laughs> that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The purpose of God moving in such a manner is that the gospel might not just be declared as we were talking about last week, but the gospel might be on display so that as it's on display, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord may be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. We'll talk about that later. Okay. So when God pours out his spirit and fills his people with power, the result is that the gospel will be on display and people will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Amen to that? That is God's goal of the Holy Spirit empowering his people. But before we dive into the New Testament connection to Joel, let's look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul made clear in the New Testament. What does it look like? What does it look like when his power is on display? Because he says the Holy Spirit is to strengthen you, to build you up, and then if you're built up, you have enough in you in the strength of God to build others up as well. Isn't that the point of it all? That God says, I want to, yes, meet with you and build you up, but then I want to strengthen you so that you can build up others. I mean, one of the, there was a man named Tom Rayner, who actually was talking about church and go, the importance of church, you know what I mean, going to church. He had a top ten list of why he goes to church as a man of God, right? And one of them was because I need to be encouraged, right? He said that. Number two was because I need to encourage other people. It's not just about me. So it matters when you show up, right? I, I loved it. I kept reading down the list. And one of them was because I need to encourage my pastor. I was like, thank God for that. How about this? When I see your face, it encourages me. Thank God that we're in this together. May that be enough for you. Thank God. Okay? He says, how about this? Because it's commanded in the scripture. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. It's someone in the habit of doing, but it's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? So being built up in strength to build others up. The whole through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Here we go. Paul says, let's attempt to employ sound biblical hermeneutics to understand the outplay in the promise of God through Joel. So he says, 1 Corinthians 13, how should we do it, the character? Well, well, let me start in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, listen, you've heard before, and people always are asking me, well, what do you believe about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I said, well, I believe what the Bible says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about them. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, don't be ignorant about them. What does ignorance mean? I'm just unaware. I'm just unaware. He says, I'm going to instruct you about them. So my encouragement to you is read the Bible. Read the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, don't be ignorant about them. But then he also says, gets to 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us what to do or how to administer them, right? And he says, do it in love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will eventually pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, <laughs> I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then what? Face to face. Then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know what? Fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Okay? The greatest of these is love. Now, I don't know about you, but like I've heard many times that people have talked about the fact that the perfect is our canonized scripture. But when I read the context of this, this, I hear him using different terminology. When we see him face to face, who's it talking about here? Christ. And I don't know about you and how deep your walk is with God, but has anybody in here seen Jesus face to face yet? If you have, please let me know because I want to hang with you. (laughs) Okay? I want to go where you go, right? To see the master face to face. So that's a soon and coming thing, right? He also talks about knowing perfectly, right? Even as I'm perfectly known. Can anybody say that the church as a whole knows perfectly yet? You know perfectly? You heard about it being known perfectly? No, by no means. But then we'll see face to face and know perfectly, even as we're perfectly known. He says, until then, I'm going to move amongst you. It would seem that the perfect, is to, um, which is to come, would not be when we have the canonized scripture has been conducted in the eyes of Jesus, but when we see our risen King Jesus face to face upon his return and have the opportunity to know him for, um, fully. So what does he do with this? He demystifies the Holy Spirit for you. And according to scripture, there is both private and corporate, a private and corporate aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit, leading to building up the church, building the individual and building the church through displays of the Holy Spirit's power. The standard for Christ's worship, let me say this, and I'll say it again later, is orderly worship. Orderly worship. Now, if you've been around any period of time, even though I get excited, I would say that we're still in order. (laughs) You hear that? I don't know what caricature you came in with about the Holy Spirit, but we don't believe in caricatures here. We do believe in the Holy Spirit's power and actually worshiping in order. Amen. (laughs) Privately and corporately. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. You okay? You with me today? Let's dive. Put on the scuba gear. The point is, according to Scripture, private worship builds up the individual. Private worship builds up on the individual, meaning that you can wait on God and be built up in God. Every one of you should have a quiet time, a time of devotion, right? And in that time, you are being built up in God, right? But what is the point of corporate worship? Public worship involves building others up, meaning the church. Privately, the goal is to develop a God awareness wherever you find yourself whether in the workplace, with family or friends, knowing that you are going to be filled with his spirit to live for him and do his will. Isn't that good news that you could go with God into your workplace? You could go with God into your school activities. In doing so, you have not just God's involvement in all that you put your hands to, but his blessing as you follow his leadership. God wants to interact with you when you're in your everyday life, right? But publicly, being filled with the Holy Spirit is useful in glorifying God and advancing his kingdom as you participate in building up, otherwise known as edifying, his church. Here we go. May we never diminish that which God has spoken about or that which he has placed value upon. 
1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. <laughs> How many of people have ever read that before? Okay, today, oh, well, I love this. I love introducing this to you today, the Bible. <laughs> okay, the Bible. Here we go. Pursue love. Pursue love. Everybody likes that, right? Okay. <laughs> Pursue love. And here's a, here's a piece of instruction in the Bible. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. What? What? God's giving me a command to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, which he spoke about in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you want context for it, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, we get to 1 Corinthians 14. Especially that you may prophesy. Now this is Paul talking to the church. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, otherwise known in other contexts as strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anybody ever need some strengthening in the Lord? Anybody need some encouragement in the Lord? Anybody ever need some comfort in the Lord? This is what God says to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can read my Bible all day long. I can be built up on my own all day long. But I thank God that when I come into the presence of other believers, that the Holy Spirit is active, and I've had people over the years prophesy to me for my strengthening, my encouragement, and my comfort. So not only were they building themselves up, but they had an overflow to build me up too. There were people who came to me before and said, listen, I don't know you. I was like, I know you better back up. <laughs> but I felt like, but I felt like God has this word for you. And all of a sudden my red flags went up, as they should, right? Because <laughs> I'm going to test everything, make sure that it's from the Lord. And they gave me something that was not only an agree, a word of encouragement, that was not only in agreement with God's written word, but it actually had specific connection to the condition that I was living in, what I was going through in that moment. That they wouldn't have known. I didn't share it with them, but God who sees it all knows. And as I'm waiting on him, not just privately, but then this person is coming to me and encouraging, encouraging me through the word of God. And yes, they had chapter and verse to back up what they said. That's good news, right? Then all of a sudden, I'm like, my goodness. God sees. God cares. God knows. And I'm built up in a way in real time that's not just dependent on me trying to flip another page and say, oh, God, please, I hope this is true. Does this make sense? He said, the one who speaks in a tongue, prayer language, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Isn't that wild? Read the Bible. He says it's for either your personal edification or to build up others. Okay, now, Paul, get, get, Paul get, okay, here we go. 
Paul said, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Let's keep going down. You can read all this later. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, what does it mean to manifest? It means to put it on display. Since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. If therefore the church, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are out of your minds? The answer is yes. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't that what we're looking for? That not we just have knowledge about God, but that God's among us. Come on now, anybody else in here? That God would be among us. Let me tell you, that is my testimony from of old. When I showed up in that Bible study, I told you last week, right? I showed up in that Bible study. Nobody knew me except that dude who kept harassing me until I got there. Kept saying, Ron, come to Bible study with me. I was like, no, come to Bible study with me. I was like, leave me alone. Come to Bible study with me. If I come, will you leave me alone? He said, yeah, I got there and I got saved. Why? Because the Bible was preached to me, but what opened me up to the Bible was this dude coming and talking to me about these things that he should not have known. And he said, there's a God who's alive who does know it. My heart was laid bare by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. I felt so convicted of my sin that I started walking around the room and confessing my sin to all these people that didn't know me. They were like deer in headlights. They're like, okay, yeah, cool. You should probably deal with that. You know, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just trying to get free because the Holy Spirit was doing his work, convicting me of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And in the midst of that encounter, I was turning to God, hearing his gospel, putting my faith in the living God. And I said, Jesus is Lord. That was the result. Jesus is Lord. But let me tell you, it's not that I hadn't seen a church building before. It's not that I hadn't seen people who called themselves Christians before. But when that power display happened, I was like, my heart is open in a brand new way. God, give me that word. Whatever you say, I, I'm with it. You know what I did after that? I got like, can I, can, I, can I just tell you my story? Is that okay? Okay, there were people like, they were, anybody ever been in a like, Christian setting before where they're all like praying together? It's like all kumbaya-ish. And then like what happens is that they were going in a circle. B was there. B knows because B was, B's my wife. You know what I mean? And uh, like actually she, what happened is that she was there as a student as well. I actually showed up and uh, like I was so uncomfortable. I had not grown up in church. I was like, they were going around saying, you know, like what do you think about this Bible passage? You know what I mean? Different people would answer and then they'd cut to me and I'd be like, hard pass. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. You know what I mean? I'm only here because of that dude harassing me, you know? And then here's the thing. B, like she actually said, when I first met him, he was a jerk. That was her, like, express, and that was her impression of me. It was true. But God changed me. 
God changed me. And what happened is they were in this prayer circle, and they all of a sudden were like, they were laying hands on people to pray for them, saying, you know, oh, God wants to meet with you, move with you, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I had just started confessing my sin to all these people that I didn't know, and then I got in that circle, too. They were placing hands on people. I placed their hands on people, too. The pastor looked at me. He was like, what you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, I'm here just doing what they're doing, you know? So they started praying. <coughs> They started praying, and I was like, okay, great. You know, they were like, okay, great, Roland. You know, this is good news. Here, now it's your turn, right? And I said, oh, no. <laughs> you know, but I said, well, you know, I'm here to get clean tonight. You know, so I got in the middle of the circle. You know what I mean? They laid hands on me, too, started praying for me. And then all of a sudden, like, I said, why do you not? I started speaking in a language I did not know. And the pastor looked at me. He said, what you doing? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, He's praying himself, hallelujah, <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, well, fine, I'll learn about that later. I didn't know what the heck was going on. All I know is that, like, God was moving on my heart. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I all of a sudden was stay, stayed in that circle. They kept praying for me, and here's the thing about it. I started to shake, not shake like dance, okay, not like little Taylor Swift, shake, shake, okay, it's like I started to shake, and then all of a sudden, they were like, the pastor looked at me again, and he said, Roland, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I'm scared, but I can't stop. You know what I mean? It was like I kept shaking, shaking, shaking. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly for one of the first times, saying, Roland, I'm shaking the sin out of your life. Obviously, it was metaphorical, but it was a powerful experience, right? I kept shaking. They kept praying for me, and then eventually I stopped. But I'm going to tell you what happened. After that night, I was filled with the power of his Holy Spirit, and all I wanted to do was declare this gospel. All I wanted to do was Jesus save my life through the death, burial, and resurrection that's spoken about in this word. And he can save your life too. All I knew was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I would say to anybody who would listen to me, I would go down the hall, and this was before it was all legal, right? I was like, I'll go to my friends in that dorm, and I would say, hey, listen, open up. Open up. And they're like, no answer. I was like, listen, I know you're in there, fool. I can smell, I see the smoke coming. I know you're, what, you know what I mean? I know you're in there right now. <laughs> Open up. And friends of mine, person after person, started giving their life to Jesus. Because I was filled with the boldness that we talked about last week. I'd been touched by the power of God that transformed and captured my heart to open my ears and my heart to listen to his resurrection life message. And I knew that I could be made a new creation through the one who's talked about in this Bible. And I was desperate not only to meet with God, to be built up myself, but then to build others up. To build others up and get to them and say, he could do this for you too. He could do this for you too. I repeat, when God pours out his spirit and fills his people with power, the result is that the gospel will be on display and people will come call upon the Lord Jesus to be saved. He says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. You will know a tree by its fruit, and whatever is done in the name of the Lord Jesus must agree with the word and character of Christ. Anyone who's been around for any period of time, you know how we conduct ourselves in God. So, my brothers, earnestly, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order.
Surprise! I've been coming to church all this time. I didn't even know. <laughs> Surprise! Why? Because it's in the Bible. Is that good enough reason? All right, wonder. It is through the filling of the Holy Spirit that God manifests wonders for both the believing and unbelieving world as we look to fulfill his mission. What does God say about the times in which we're living? Well, we see it in Acts chapter 2. For anybody who's been uh, ever looking at uh, the magazine rack as you are shopping, you're wondering when the last days are coming. Well, the good news is God says we've been in the last days since Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Surprise. Philip Yancey said, the people of God are not merely to mark time, waiting for God to step in and set right all that is wrong. Rather, they are to model the new heaven and the new earth. And by so doing, awaken longings for what God will someday bring to pass. Acts chapter 2, this is where we're going to end. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Why did they think they were drunk? Yeah, on the day of Pentecost, they were speaking in the languages. They were they're like, they're crazy. Or had a little bit too much. <laughs> right? That was their interpretation. And Peter had to say, wait, hold on now. They're not drunk like you suppose. Since it is only the third hour of the day. But, but, this is what I have highlighted and italicized in my notes. But, this is what was uttered through the prophet who? The person we just read about. Through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So what was he doing? He was interpreting that which they were seeing. He was interpreting and saying, guys, you've heard about this. Now you're seeing it. I'm making the connection for you. I'm connecting the dots. This is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Okay, one person. Okay, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. What is a sign? It's something that points to something, right? Why did that happen? It's pointing to Jesus, right? What is a wonder? I wonder how that happened. I wonder how that happened. Here's the explanation. It's through the resurrected Christ. Blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And I shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see what is connected here? You see what's connected here? Filling with strength, filling with power, manifestation of that power, and the declaration of, yes, God, Jesus. Yes. You see that? He actually says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It has definitively been the last day since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I like how Francis Chan said it. He said, let me make this real plain. Most of us use, I'm waiting for God to reveal his calling on my life as a means of avoiding action. Did you hear God calling you to sit in front of the television yesterday? <laughs> or to go on your last vacation? Or exercise this morning? Probably not, but you still did it. The point isn't that vacations or exercise are wrong, but that we are quick to rationalize our entertainment and priorities, yet are slow to commit to serving God. And what God's trying to reorient us to do is to say, Learn to wait on me, hear from me through my word and my spirit, and I'll empower you to serve me. I repeat one more time, when God pours out his spirit and fills his people with power, the result is that the gospel will be on display, and people will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Let's be filled with the spirit and join the Lord in his eternal work proclaiming the resurrected Jesus today. Amen? All right, worship team. So, questions? Afterward, not now. Nobody raise your hand. <laughs> questions afterward, let's talk. Let's talk. Because as always, we believe the motto of the Moravians, right? We said in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, diversity. But maybe in all things, charity. By faith, let's meet with God and be transformed into by him to do his will together. In Jesus' name, amen? All right, let's worship. All right, let's stand together and worship.